Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit byteradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Bernie Siegel, and we'll be talking about his new book, Three Men, Six Lives. Dr. Bernie Siegel broke new ground with his monumental book, Love, Medicine, and Miracles. Today, Bernie continues to impart wisdom about the true nature of life and love in his entertaining and enlightening debut fiction novel, Three Men, Six Lives, a grand adventure born of Bernie's experience of his current and past lives awaits you. When three conflicted men search for deeper meaning in their lives through their sometimes painful and amusing explorations, they discover there are no coincidences. Join this unlikely trio as they learn that love is not that love not only heals, but it endures. Sometimes the paths in life that look like detours are just different ways to get where we're going and where we're meant to be all along. Bernie Siegel, MD, is a New York Times best-selling author, lecturer, founder of ECAP, Exceptional Cancer Patients, and a retired pediatric and general surgeon. Bernie has been called a leading teacher of the mind-body connection and is well known for his groundbreaking love, medicine, and miracles. Three Men, Six Lives is Bernie's 19th book. He is also the co-author with his grandson, Charlie Siegel, of their book of short writings and poetry, When You Realize How Perfect Everything Is. I had the pleasure of interviewing Charlie and Bernie about that particular book um, on the show on May 21st this year. So if you're interested in listening to that particular show, it it was a great show, you just go to our our archive page, look up um, May 21st, 2020, and there you'll have it. So um, now for more information about Bernie, um, you can visit his website, which is berniesiegelmd.com. And with that, I'd like to welcome Bernie to the show. Good day, Bernie. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. <laughs> it is my pleasure. I thought you were going to call me, and I almost forgot. But, oh. uh, you oh, know, no. I, then I, well, I called back in. But, no, I mean, you know, it's no it, – it's just it, it you have so many perfect. shows, and I'm doing so many things that, uh, uh, you know, when you get to be a senior – <laughs> oh, I, I know. Keep I know track of everything. And, and oh, well, let me mention one other mm-hmm. one other book. I guess it would be number eighteen. Um, no endings, only beginnings. And the, the subtitle it says: "A Doctor's Notes on Living, Loving, and Learning Who You Are." And I really recommend it to people because it's short chapters, and it just focuses you on many things in your life. And I reread, let me explain this to people why, I reread my own books, The Three Men, Six Lives I'm Reading Now, No Endings, Only Beginnings, Um, 
and 365 prescriptions for the soul. And you'd say, you wrote it. Why do you need to reread it? But I find I relearn things, if you know what I mean. It, it It's hard to keep all the things you really know up there in your mind, how to live, what to do every day. And so by reading what I have written, it just brings me back you know, to that wisdom and keeps it connected in my life. And I also find, of course, as time passes, I get wiser. So I get more <laughs> out of the, th- you know, the things I've written mm-hmm. um, and even stories I tell that might have been from 20 years ago. And you read it and, oh, yeah, and it wakes you back <laughs> up again. And uh, so I enjoy yeah, I'm sure. reading what yeah. I've written. Let's put it that way. And even yeah, well, when you I'm say sure this to people, keep that everybody mm-hmm. ought to keep a journal every day of not just the things that oh that bothered me and that I went through and this is terrible, but the things that made you laugh. You know, in other words, keep that whole day because amongst all the things I said, I have uh, a diary I kept from 1996 and I found in the house. And that's something else I read every morning to start my day. And uh, it gives you a chance to see, have I grown? Have I changed? Am I any better than I was, you know, 25 years ago and things of that sort? So keep a journal. Yeah. Don't forget the good things. All right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, that, that's real important. And you're right. You know, um, I have read books um, at one part in my life and then maybe pick it up uh, 10, 20 years later and reread it. And it, it seems to have new meaning, you know, based on kind of what I experienced right. in that period. So, um, yeah. So and, and if if the work is based in universal truth, <laughs> then it's going to be timeless no matter no matter right. when you read it. Yeah, I, I mark, I usually fold down the corner of a page or mark, you know, a paragraph on that page that really said something to me so that if I read the book 10 years later, I can say, gee, I don't see why that got me or yes, mm-hmm. wow, what a wonderful thing. Um, and the other thing, I use this as a test. You see, if I read a book and mark the pages, and then 10 years later read it, and don't find anything new that's significant and important, it means to me that I haven't grown or changed. Because Mm. what I like to see is if I reread the same book, it should get better 10 years later. Because if I have grown, I'm going to find more in the words, whoever the author is, and uh, it'll be significant to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with 19 books, <laughs> there is a uh, plethora of resources <laughs> for people, for you to, to go back and, right. and um, remember, um, and, and for other, other people too, as read. Um, now, Three Men, Six Lives, I mentioned in the in- introduction that your debut novel, and, you know, and I read that you like to call it um, a nonfiction novel. So can you tell us a little right. bit about why you chose this yeah i'll define that because what's fiction Mm -hmm. are the characters their names are all real but the character that goes with the name i made up 
so that you're not dealing with exposing individuals and their life and so forth and so on. But what is not fiction are the past life experiences that they had. Now, one of them I mentioned is me. You know, he's a doctor, Um, just so people know. There's a psychiatrist, a mafia don, and a surgeon, physician. And they meet because of the psychiatrist. But it's each life is something I made up, but each past life experience is something that I didn't make up that really happened uh, to these people. And, um, you know, a lot of these things in the past I would think are crazy. Because uh, Brian Weiss, who comments on the book and, and wrote one of the first books on this topic, Many Lives, Many Masters, he was a student at Yale. And I got a kick. You know, he's going to become a psychiatrist. And when he's on the surgical rotation, uh, what is he going to do? You know, how can this be interesting? And I remember him saying to me, Bernie, I love being in the operating room with you because you're not a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> and again, it, it was things I was doing, talking to people under anesthesia, uh, all kinds of interesting things. And you realize that their consciousness is alive and awake and hearing you. And I have to say, other doctors like the anesthesiologists would say, what are you talking to the patient for? Because that usually meant they weren't doing a good job anesthetizing the patient. See? So mm-hmm. a way of criticizing them was to talk to the patient as if they weren't anesthetized. Oh. But I said, no, I'm trying to let the patient know what I'm doing, how things are going, uh, you know, to help me not to bleed, etc. And they began to see how true it was. And so I have lived all these things, and I want people to know that they're real. Well, think of all the fuss over near-death experiences years ago until several physicians had it happen, and then they wrote books about it, see? That it's not just changes in your brain, et cetera, et cetera. So this is part of why I'm writing this, to let people know that it is real, and they'll realize it when they leave their bodies. Because I had a near-death experience when I was four years old, choking on a toy. And maybe that's a part of why you might say my mind was forever open. Because Mm -hmm. I experienced leaving my body. And uh, I have to say, at age four, I was disappointed uh, that I didn't die. I I know that (laughs) sounds bizarre, but uh, it was a very interesting thing to have happen. Uh, when you're four years old, to be out of your body, floating around the room. And the interesting thing is, this struck me later, <clears throat> when I would tell people, I'd say, the boy on the bed. And then one day, I was like listening to myself. I said, what are you talking about, the boy on the bed? Why don't you say me? And I thought, because that body isn't me. Mm-hmm. The consciousness is me. And that's, again, what three men, six lives are about, that when you say we have a past life, it doesn't mean that physically I was that person. It means that consciously I was that person. So when that Mm -hmm. person dies, the consciousness, in a sense, let's call it recycling, gets recycled, gets picked up by somebody. And so 
it can be a benefit. It could be a difficulty. Because I've just read about a child, again, who's incredibly talented musically. And that struck me years ago, watching a nine-year-old playing a violin in a concert orchestra. He was a guest. And he said, when people said to him, how did you get all this talent? He said, I don't know, but when I was five years old, I saw a violin for the first time, and I ran over and I had to hold it and hug it. And and hmm. to me, that says, yes, he has the consciousness of a violinist in him. So he doesn't need the kinds of lessons that I would have needed as a nine-year-old to play a violin. Um, I had no musical abilities at all, but I had artistic abilities. And I've painted portraits, and I've done lots of things. And it's part of why I became a surgeon, because... I wanted to use my hands, and I didn't know anything about the art world. Or, in other words, if I were reliving my life with what I know today, I would have said, go ahead and become an artist. Then you never have to work a day in your life. Paint pictures and sell them. And, um, But that was not something I was aware of as a kid, of that aspect of life. Um, yeah. I didn't know about Picassos and Rembrandts and things like that. Um, I just knew about people who did decorating or painting your house or doing things like that. So I thought, well, you want to use your hands? Being a surgeon would be very helpful. And then... Yeah, didn't I read about um, a, a past life as um, a knight with a sword, killing with a sword? Yeah. And... Uh, it, and the oh, yeah. idea of yeah, so it's kind of like one one life is dying by the sword and the other is living by the yeah. scalpel. I mean, it's kind of just the um, and one. I don't know if it's in the book or not. I can't remember every little detail. But one of our kids came when he was a uh, say maybe he was eight or nine years old. Came walking in from school, and he had this big canvas with him that I have hanging on the wall in the house. It was the word words repeated endlessly on this canvas. And it really Hmm. hit me. Wow. If you write words, 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 they become swords, 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 swords. And I really feel Hmm. he he must have had some connection with me in the past (laughs) life to to put something like that. Because his teacher said to him, why did you do that? He didn't know. He just... Mm. It just sort of flowed out of him to do that. And I have learned, and I mean it literally, especially as a physician, you can kill or cure people with words or a knife. I mean, you can take people's hope away, and that'll destroy them too. Um, So the words and swords hangs there, and uh, there's always been a therapy session for me. Yeah. So now, with with the, the you know that particular experience in as a child was as you were growing you know into adulthood and then you know onto the medical field um, was your belief um, where did the the belief in reincarnation kind of come to you? So what well, I'll, I'll, I will tell you um i 
have always heard voices. And you could say maybe you're psychotic, you know. <laughs> but they <laughs> would always talk to me in a meaningful way um, and make big differences in my life. I mean, one example that I'll try to make it a short story was the day my father was going to die. We He said, I'm going to die on Sunday, so we arranged a goodbye party. And that morning when I'm out taking a walk just before heading for the hospital, a voice said to me, how did your parents meet? I said, I don't know. Then ask your mother when you get to the hospital. When I walked in the room, what shot out of my mouth instead of, I love you, let me hug you, was, how did you two meet? The answer from my mother was a story. And the last line was, because she was sitting on the beach with girls she didn't know who had a terrible reputation. She said, the boys coming down the beach tossed coins and your father lost and got me. Well, she told more stories and my father died laughing. And I realized what a gift that was. To hear that, how did your parents meet? You know? And my wife would often say, it came from God knows where. Now, what got me into the past life, yes, I'm open-minded, okay, uh, about consciousness. And even in the operating room, I had somebody's heart stop. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything to do with it. The man was on the operating table working away, and the anesthesiologist said, Bernie, his heart stopped. I can't get it going again. I yelled out loud in the operating room, Donald, it's not your time yet. Come on back. And his heart started beating again. And I never forget the anesthesiologist saying, I like working with you. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I was known as crazy, but a lot of wonderful things happened because I was crazy. But now um, I'm busy. My phone rings. It's a friend of mine who wants to talk to me. I said, I really can't talk. I've got an interview in a couple of minutes. You know, so whatever it is, let's make it quick. Oh, Bernie, why are you living this life? Those are her exact words when I said, I'm so busy. She said, why are you living this life? I went into a trance from that statement. Hmm. And I said to her, oh, my God. She said, I'm sorry, did I upset you? What? I said, no, I suddenly saw myself with a sword in my hand, killing I said, it's like watching myself in a movie. And it it just made me think so differently. Maybe that's why I'm a surgeon, to help people with a knife. Maybe that's why when I was five years old, I kept driving my parents crazy that I want a dog. And I really felt it was because I had killed a dog um, in a past life. And I was feeling guilt. And one, there's a story called Wolfen. I mention it in the book, but it's a knight. This is why it fit me so well, because I was a knight in Ireland. And, and I know it was Ireland because of Irish things that have happened to me, including saving the life of a child and him be, being named after me, but an Irish family, so he's named Brady. Um, but all these things that happened, and... I said to her, again, maybe that's why I'm a surgeon, 
to help people with a knife. And the story Wolfen is about a knight who comes home from the war, knows his wife has had a baby while he's away, goes up to the nursery. It's covered with blood. The crib is upside down. His dog is there with blood all over him. So he kills his dog. Then he picks up the crib, and there's his healthy baby and a dead mm-hmm. wolf. And he realizes the dog saved his child's life, and he killed the dog. I read that to our kids and started crying while I'm reading it. And they look at me like, Dad, it's a story. What are you getting so emotional about? What are you <laughs> crying for? I, mm-hmm. I really felt that I didn't know why I was crying, but now I know that it was touching me and my past life. So it really affected me very emotionally to live about this knight who comes and kills. And I also, Hmm. in this life, had questions about faith. Um, After I had my past life experience, and when I say that to people, I mean, I, I went into this trance and visualized the whole thing. Um, and the reason was that I always questioned Abraham being willing to sacrifice his child, of Jesus mm-hmm. willing to be crucified versus creating a miracle and getting off the cross. That's my crazy sense of humor. I always said, if I were Jesus, I would have jumped off the cross and impressed the hell out of people. Um, And if I were Abraham, I would have said, take me and leave my kid alone. All right? So when I was asked to kill the neighbor's daughter as a knight, I mean, the two were in conflict over land um, between their castles. Uh, I said... Let me kill him. He's the problem. No, I want you to kill his daughter. And if I don't, I'll kill you. I said, okay, I'm going. And the woman I killed was my wife. Why did I know that? Because I was going to kill her in her sleep to make it as painless as possible. But her dog that she had was growling when I walked into her bedroom in her castle. And um, I killed him so he wouldn't attack me, and that woke her up. And then when she turned and looked Mm. at me, I realized who it was. And I cried for hours. This happened to me when I was flying cross-country and really just went into a trance, you know, flying for several hours by myself. My wife hadn't come along. Um, I cried for hours. I mean, I was just torn apart. And uh, I went to get therapy, and um, James Hillman, the Jungian therapist, was free. He said, fine, come on up here. I'll help you. And I never forget his words that turned everything around to me. I said, my Lord asked me to kill the neighbor's daughter. And he said, Bernie, do you hear what you're saying? My Lord. I said, well, it's the Lord of the castle. He said, Bernie, it's your Lord to go home and relive this. And boy, that was you know mm. like getting a punch in the head in the heart because I realized what he was saying to me. So I did relive it. 
And when my yeah. Lord said, kill the neighbor's daughter, I said, okay. And then well, I realized yeah. he was just testing my faith. He didn't want me to kill her. He wanted me to bring them here, you know, so we could solve the problem. And he needed to have faith in me that I could do this and have it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the beginning of your book, you have a story. Um, you start off with a story about a man and a dog, um, tripod, yep. also known yep. as, as Survivor. But anyway, that story seems to kind of um, in, in, encapsulate some of, the, of what you were just talking about as far as right. the dog and the wife. And Would you mind sharing that with that with the listeners? Because I've I believe yeah. it sets it, the tone for the book. That's why I love my wife. When I would tell stories, people would come over to her and say, wow, did that really happen? What is that? that? And she would say, it came from God knows where. And one day I thought, that's a great answer. You know, where did that come from? From God knows where. Because I thought that is where it came from. She's right. Um, and the story, and, and I have to say that these things just sort of pour out of me. See, when I was a youngster and in college, the only C I got in four years of college was in creative writing. Mm. You'd say, well, then how can you do all this? It was a pure, well, no coincidence. When somebody said to me, why don't you write a book and save yourself a lot of time and trouble traveling and lecturing, and I said, I can't. I'm not a writer. You know, I was an artist, a visual person. And um, they got people together, and my first book was put together because I talked it out for hours, Love, Medicine, and Miracles, and then editors put it together. But at this point in my life, I can get into that other place in my mind, whether you call it a trance state or what, and that's part of why I can enjoy reading my own books. It's like, who wrote this? Where did that come from? <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. You know, and so I enjoy it because it's not something I thought about. Let me let me use the words of my friend Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather, because he made me understand it. He was sitting in his office saying he's got to write, finish writing a book, and he's just sitting there doing nothing. And his girlfriend and I were sitting in the living room. So she went over. She said, Mario, you left to say you're going to write your book and you're not doing anything. He said, I'm waiting for the characters to tell me what to say. Mm. That is when I understood what was happening to me. It was coming from this other place, from the consciousness. And I was simply writing what... I was being told to write in a sense that was coming into my into my mind. And uh, so it just flows. So I can sit and type and do it. I don't have to mm -hmm. talk it out. I I you know, it's it's still coming from that outer source and I can sit and do it. Um and thinking doesn't get in the way or spoil it. And so even you know, the veteran who lost his leg in the war at the beginning of the of the book um, and adopts a dog with three legs um, because his wife 
just so people know, his wife wouldn't let him bring home a dog. But he wasn't going to say no when he read in the paper about this dog had been hit by a car and lost its leg. And so he brings it home. And, of course, his wife eventually accepts it. And my sense of humor, as you probably noticed in the book, um, <laughs> you know, my next dog is going to be named Sex also. Um, <laughs> because it's just so much fun, you know. Uh, the neighbors don't bother you because if they say, your dog is a problem, he barks too much. So sex is a problem for you, hmm? And... Uh, <laughs> And I love doing that when you're in the supermarket. You know, you meet your neighbors, say, was sex a problem last night? And after that, they stop talking about you and your dog ever again. But it's, that's like the kid in me, if you know what I mean. That's the other side of my personality. But they're real people. And, and again, part of what I share is the gentleman who becomes a psychiatrist in the story after his past life is because of things that he did that were very painful in his previous life. But he finds those things when he goes to a conference, a psychiatric conference at the Menninger Foundation. Um, see, even things like, and again, it, it, I know it's true because it comes from God knows where. The mother of this boy who causes the trouble and is the psychiatrist's past life, says to him, why don't you go see Dr. Carl? Uh, and she tries to get him to see Dr. Carl, who's a psychiatrist. Well, at the Menninger Foundation, the, the psychiatrist who has lived that past life says, is there a Dr. Carl here? And they say, no, no, that that's his first name. We refer to people by their first names here because there are so many Menningers. So if we ever said, can I see Dr. Menninger, we wouldn't know who you're talking about. So it's Dr. Carl Menninger. And they look up his past records and find that this boy was a patient of his and that he did commit suicide. And so there, the psychiatrist can't deny what's there and so he accepts it and then goes back to help his patients because of what he's learned from it about himself and to make him a, a you might say a better psychiatrist and less painful too so why are you in the mafia why are you a surgeon all these things that you can look at and find out in a healthy way why did I make these choices so if the choices I made are not healthy, then I can alter them, you know, and change who I am and understand who I am. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the, John, George, and Carmine are very different characters. Um, mm. what, when, is, what, when, when we're talking about uh, reincarnation and past lives, now uh, a good n number of people in the world believe and many probably all their life believed in reincarnation. It's part of their societal um, right. structure. Um, but, you know, what would you say is, first of all, the um, the reluctance maybe of of some 
you know, in the face of evidence um, that, you know, choose not to believe that it's a, a thing. Well, first, I, I always like to define, when you say reincarnation, I don't say it's me coming back, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Right. I say it's my consciousness, my experience, so to speak, that gets reimplanted in another living creature. Um but it, it's, I mean, when I live it and experience it, how can I deny it? That, that yeah. I, I have an open mind. So, I mean, creation is, is unexplainable. I mean, like, you can't tell me uh, how life was created. You know, I always say, how, how would anybody figure out how to make an eye? You know? But it's about <laughs> the intelligence. Yeah. I, I call, the way I put it, I don't know if it's in that book or another one, but that I've written, I said that God is loving, intelligent, conscious energy. Those are the things that are hmm. needed for creation. The love, the intelligence, the consciousness, and the energy so that you can begin to put things together and do them. Um, and that's the part, whether you say it's recycled or past life or whatever, um, that happens. Um, yeah. And it's not, so, as I said, me being recreated. It's right. my experience that continues on. Yes. It's just an incarnation of the consciousness. That, right. That that was you. Um, so, with keeping that in mind, what what what's the um, the benefit of uh, or or the um, how, how can understanding our past lives help us in the current? Well, it's the word understanding is what you just used. And it helps us to understand who we are and why. Now, there may be things that are causing you trouble. That's one aspect. Or there may be others that are the talent, as I said, when I Mm. see these Mm. children. Because many of them have said that, that they didn't know why they were attracted to certain instruments and why they seemed so talented and were able to do that. I even saw it in some of our kids. Um, they would sit down at the piano and play it. And if you left me there for three years, I couldn't do what they did. And uh, on the other hand, I can look at somebody's face and paint their portrait, and you say, gee, that's beautiful, that's wonderful. Yeah, where did that come from? I never took an art lesson. I never went to a class. But... It's in me. And so I think it helps us to know and understand ourselves. You see, in the choices we make, um, if something happened to you in a past life, would you come back and say, I don't want that kind of thing to happen? Well, let me, let me say Adolf Hitler, okay? Why would he go right. around killing everybody? Why doesn't he say, oh, I had a terrible past life with all kinds of things, and (laughs) instead of trying to get even with people, why don't I teach people to love each other and not have this kind of thing happen? 
So the choices we make can be healthy or unhealthy depending on that past experience. Uh, you know, it's like saying the soldier who lost his mm-hmm. leg, he could want to go around cutting off everybody's legs to get even with them because of what war did to him. And look at the violence you see in the streets now. See? And yeah, yeah. If, if, if people are, what's the word? Um, you know, if people are seeking... Uh, because they weren't loved and weren't cared for revenge, then look what they do to the world. But if they realized yeah. I had this painful life, past and even present, um, but instead of hurting people, why don't I change them? Let me give you an example that popped into my head. I, I don't make up any of these stories. This was a boy. Uh, he wrote a book, too, called... Um, oh. Maybe the title will come to me. I I have so many problems with names. Um, You see, again, I'm so visual. I forget people's names, but (laughs) I meet them on the street. I know them. used to drive my wife crazy that, why don't you introduce me? I can't remember (laughs) their name. So she used to walk Uh up ahead of me and say, hi, I'm Bernie's wife. And then they'd say who they were. Um, But anyway, Tony Fenton was his name. And... um, he was sexually abused by his parents and their friends. I mean, they used him for sexual reasons and practices. And he had to do favors, you know, if he wanted a TV set, mm-hmm. if he wanted a meal, he had to pay. And he called me one day, and he developed AIDS. Um, I think the book was A Rock in a Hard Place. Um he called me one day. He said, Dr. Siegel, I said, what is it, Tony? I'm going to commit suicide. I said, Tony, I can get you a gun. He lived in New York. I know people in New York who get you a gun and kill your parents. That's what everybody else is doing. Why kill yourself? <laughs> and he said, uh-huh. I never want to be like them. Mm-hmm. That sentence blew me away. I never want to be like them. He says, I'm going down the subway, jump in front of the A train. And I say goodbye. A couple hours later, the phone rings. I pick it up. Tony, I thought you were going to commit suicide. (laughs) And I never forget what he said. The train was late. I was standing in the (laughs) station and waiting and waiting, and it never came. So I called the suicide prevention hotline, and they came and rescued me. Now... I have learned from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, her expression was, there are no coincidences. See, that's the consciousness. Why did he pick the subway? Why didn't he run in front of a car? You know, why didn't he cut his blood vessels? But there's a part of him, I think, that knew, we'll go down there and then it won't happen and he'll go on living. Um, And... That's the part, again, that convinces me about consciousness, that there are no coincidences. Well, Jung put it in these words. He said, the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance and therefore can be guessed by clairvoyance. So they're reading you and they're reading your consciousness and they know. And I may say, I had one patient who was a mystic. 
And she said to me one day, hey, I've learned you're not a normal doctor, so I brought a message for you from a dead patient. And I knew who she was talking about because she had his name. I called his wife, and Mm -hmm. she shrieked. And I said, I didn't call upset you. You didn't upset me. That's what he said every day when he would leave your meeting. It was an exact quote. Uh And, Mm. And those are things, as I say, that convince me. And I may add, my wife died two and a half years ago. Um, quietly and peacefully at home in her sleep. But she died on a Thursday. And I, no, wait, it was Friday. She died on Friday. And I thought, let's see if Monica calls me to say something about my wife. Because to Mm. me, that was like testing her. Well, Mm -hmm. Sunday morning, Mm -hmm. the phone rang. Monica, hi, Bernie. Bobby's back with the family. Everything is fine. A lovely lady who was an opera singer in her past life called me, got, well, got in touch with me. It wasn't a phone call. She hears them talking to her and told me mm-hmm. that everything's okay. And what do you think my wife's mother was? She was a well-known opera singer in her lifetime. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So when she brings in information like that, yeah. it blows my mind. And I tell patients... You want to call Monica? Go ahead. Ask her to talk to your <laughs> dead loved one sure. and bring a message to you. And nobody yeah. has ever well, called you know, me and said, she doesn't know what she's talking about. It's great. They always have been impressed by her accuracy and truth. Yeah. It's, you know, it's when um, that's what kind of shifted my perspective it was the um, seeing the examples of you know, very talented, gifted people um, identify, you know, specific information that is, you know, really not known by anyone else. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's, you know, and when that happens, you know, my <laughs> my little training in the scientific mind kind of says, okay, you know, what what are the chances of this happening? You know, and what if, and if that does happen, like it does, then what is it that um, allows the information to be recalled or, or related, you know? And so then that kind of, <laughs> for me, it led me on a whole different way of thinking. Um, but uh, yeah, now, the, the, what yeah. I've learned, let mm-hmm. me mention this. I started mm-hmm. using drawings and talking to people about their dreams because as the Bible mm-hmm. says, God speaks in dreams and images. And so I learned that, well, as Jung said, numbers are quantity and meaning. See, there's symbolism in everything. And so when people draw pictures and you say, why that number? Oh, what it means to them. You know, oh, mm-hmm. why is there only one hand on the clock pointed at 12? Oh, I was sexually abused when I was 12 years old. Um, mm. So there are all kinds of things that they know what's good for them, too, in the future. Draw yourself in the operating room, they Draw yourself getting chemotherapy. And people draw the devil giving them poison, and people draw it as a gift from God. And what's different is how they then respond to it. They know how they're feeling, what's right for them. Now, can we change our minds? Yeah, again, through images and visualizing. You can change what your body experiences and believes in. You you can call it hypnosis if you want to. It doesn't matter. But we're capable of changing those things by working with consciousness. 
Now, we can't change the past. That's gone. But yeah. we can yeah. reprogram the future. Yeah. Yeah. So now, what's your view of karma? Now, what, what, in one sense, there's the idea of, you know, um, you know, you know, bad karma kind of thing. Um, but is, is it a, or is it something of uh, you reap what you sow kind of setup? What, what, what's your view of that, of karma? It, yeah, I don't often, you know, get involved with that word, but I think it is partly what we have experienced in the past and the consciousness. Um, mm-hmm. Years ago, again, another crazy experience for me. Um, I was giving a lecture. Notice I wasn't paying any attention to my notes and outline. I just stood there and talked for two hours. A lady came up and said, that was better than usual. I've heard you before. I said, I agree with you. The next lady in line said, there was a man standing in front of you for the entire lecture, so I drew his picture for you. It was what I now call my angel, George, somebody I met in a meditation that I didn't believe in because I went to a workshop and they said, you know, we'll meet an inner guide, we'll walk on a path and coming towards you, this person. And he walked up to me and said, hello, my name is George. He was dressed strangely. Um, Let's say it's because I didn't understand what his garments were. Turns out he's a rabbi, and he was wearing a cap that, well, like a yarmulke, a prayer cap from the 1800s. Uh, they they were like three inches high all the way around, and also his spiritual garments uh, that he was wearing. So and then understood why he was dressed that way. Now George hmm. has been seen standing next to me by mystics. And I don't prepare things anymore. I just let George, you know, get up and do it. But after speaking, because this really convinced me, Alga Worrell was a healer and intuitive from the time she was a child. She was incredible, her life story. Um, You know, voices she would hear, things she would see, uh, and they were always accurate. But anyway, we both knew this man who died, and I spoke at his funeral. And we're standing there as the funeral is departing and Alga said Bernie you Jewish I said why do you ask because I spoke at a Christian funeral no there's a rabbi standing next to you and she described George Mm -hmm. in complete detail the way that woman said I drew a picture of him for you she again drew him you know he has a beard and so forth and so on he's not just a guy and and you know when she said that to me it, it like I turned a good part of my life over to George. I don't worry about what are you going to say at your lecture. I go and I do the speaking. George creates the lecture. So th- these are the things I feel about life and uh, because they have happened to me and how mystical it is. Um, and people need to open their minds and accept this because it then empowers them to help them survive, make changes in their health and body and lives and everything else. 
Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting, you know, that experience with the guy, George. Now you have a, a, a character, George Bingfelder, who is a character in your book. Um, so that it seems now that, you know, when you're talking about your new book, um, George, I mean, even though the character is not your guide, but the idea of George and, and, and just in general is uh, he's kind of brought into the conversation. Um, you know, you know because, it's, it's uh, interesting. You just made me realize that because there was somebody named George Dingfelder that I was aware of. And it never, mm-hmm. I, I had never connected it to my George <laughs> until you said it. That's really interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was like getting credit for helping uh, with uh, with the dictation. <laughs> that, that was yeah. Kind of but again, you know, I have to say this to you too, that you know, the people who published the book Three Men Six Lives are always saying to me, Bernie, talk about the book. Because there are so many experiences I have, I always get off talking about them. You know, it's like it opens the door Uh to bring up all these things that you might say people are uncertain about, don't know if they can believe in. Um, But I think minds are opening because when I was interviewed 20 or more years ago, um, every headline above the article was, the controversial Dr. Bernie Siegel. She, what was controversial? They hadn't experienced what I had, so they couldn't believe right. it. You know, it's not scientific. It's not real. Uh, you're imagining. And then something happens in their life, and as I say, all these doctors who wrote books, um, or even one father, his four-year-old, had a near-death experience like I did. And... The father finally wrote a book that heaven is for real because the kid met dead family members he could not know about. I mean, to make it simple and clear, the mother had given birth to a sister of his. But before the boy was born, that girl died. So he never knew about her or met her. And yet when he had a near-death experience, he talked about his sister that he met. And the father knew there is no way he could have had that mm-hmm. information or known anything about it. So I just say to people, keep an open mind. You want to think Siegel's crazy? Fine. I don't mind that. <laughs> but keep a mind, your mind open. So if something does happen, accept it. You don't have to say, well, how can you explain that? Hey, how can you explain creation? You can't. Yeah. I mean, there's no scientific way that you can say, yeah, this is what happened, this is what was done, blah, 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 blah. Um, You know, it's all symbolic. We have a lot of things to learn from the Bible, um, but it doesn't say this is how I did it, how I made a tree, how I made an animal. Um, it was yeah. all those things it, together, and it happened. Yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned earlier when you were talking about creation and the creative aspect of of love, um, intention, and conscious consciousness. Love. Um, do you 
feel that, is it just love that transcends our life here, or do you think that other emotions as well can kind of transcend our experience? Well, I think love, I mean, that no other emotion, I think, can match true love. I mean, I, I can say that I had it in our marriage, and I really felt like my wife and I were one person. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. that I mean, I, even one of the poems I wrote you mentioned with Charlie was about traveling without my wife. And the poem became, A Heavy Heart Weighs More Than Her Luggage. You know, yeah. because women pack everything okay. when they travel. <laughs> so getting on an airplane with that kind of luggage yeah. was not fun. But when she wasn't yeah. there... I felt heavier than when she was with me. So I think love is amazing in the sense of what it does to you physiologically too, how it changes your chemistry. Uh, You know, it's relationships, let's put it that way too. Uh, Mm -hmm. So whether you have a dog in the house or a loving human being, it leads to your living a longer, healthier life. And studies have shown this. I'm not making up these numbers. So the love has a profound effect on your internal chemistry and your genes and everything else. See, identical twins don't get the same thing on the same day or even the same week of their life. Right. The one who's the submissive um, child who's making mommy and daddy happy is more likely to end up with breast cancer than her devil of a sister who's doing what makes her happy and not worrying mm. what the parents think of you know what profession she's choosing or how she's living she's doing her thing and that's what people need to understand um to follow their hearts see and love yeah do what you love is really what it boils down to um not, yeah. hey, mom and dad, what do you... Well, the thing I've seen is, you see, the lawyer becomes a violinist when he learns he has cancer. He said, I don't want to hmm. be a lawyer. My parents didn't wouldn't let me become a violinist. He's playing an or, a violin in an orchestra and not dead. And I can yeah. tell those stories forever. But again, they... See, it's meeting the people... And having a story happen, and that's why I started telling stories. People don't argue with you about stories because it's a true (laughs) story. But if you talk to doctors about a study done of 100 people, they'll argue with you. Say, "Um, that's poorly controlled. What journal was that in? Um, I can't accept that. But if you say, look what happened to my neighbor, they can't say it didn't happen. So I became a storyteller. And I'll tell you something else that's interesting. Why I write fiction. I tell people, you want to know the truth, read fiction. (laughs) Now you say, what are you talking about? See, the Uh artists, the writers are writing the truth. They're making up the story, though. Rosenitsen, in his book Cancer Ward, discusses self-induced healing. Now, what do doctors talk about? Oh, you had a spontaneous remission. Solzhenitsyn intuitively knew from his experience, it's not spontaneous. It's self-induced. And the symbols, see, again, back to symbols. 
rainbow-colored butterfly. Get your life in order through transformation. The butterfly and the rainbow. So that's why mm-hmm. I write the book. I may create the well, characters, but I'm too thin. Okay? Yeah. And, oh, there's one poem, too, just to get back to cancer for a minute. Uh, it's called Miss G by W.H. Auden. Childless women get it, men when they retire. It's as if there had to be an outlet for their foiled creative fire. Now, I mentioned that at a medical meeting, and a doctor in the audience yelled, just because it rhymes doesn't make it true. That's the, (laughs) the reaction you get from a doctor. But it is true. See? When you're lonely, when you have no meaning in your life, even Joseph Campbell talked about that. Um, it's all these things are a part of your life. And again, that's yeah. why I write my books, to get you to know more about life and about yourself and to take your power mm-hmm. and live your life. If you don't want to do yeah, what makes you, you know, you don't want to do something, then say no. And you're more likely to survive yeah. And the psychiatrists, see, that's the other part of medicine that's a problem. The psychiatrists understand it, but the medical doctors don't. And I may add, the suicide rate in doctors is higher than the general population. I hadn't thought about that, but that could be related to past lives too. See, why do you want to be a doctor? When you tell Mm -hmm. them to draw pictures of themselves working as a doctor, medical students the majority of the time, don't even put a patient in the picture. It's themselves, diplomas, desks, equipment. And I haven't thought about that before. But maybe why they commit suicide is they become a doctor to make up for something else in their life. And then more things go badly and they end up more depressed and end up killing themselves. I mean, I know how I felt when complications occurred and other things. Yeah, I felt grief, and I shared it with the families. I didn't run away. Um, I just shared with the family, and they helped me, and I helped them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well Bernie, our, our time has run out. I, I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. I knew I would after talking with you and Charlie um, in May. But, Thank um, you. I'm, I, re- I really like um, the, the book, Three Men, Six Lives, because it – um, like you mentioned, it, it really deals with some kind of universal truths. Um, the fact that it's a um, nonfiction novel, or however you want, however it is to be described, the fact is is that um, you know it it presents some um, just some basic understandings of, of how life works, and, and uh, everybody can benefit from from learning about that. So, well, I, I look forward to book number twenty. <laughs> when that comes about. So, oh, you know, I, yeah, I my no... daughter, whose son died uh-huh. uh, of a genetic problem, said she and I should write a book because I mentioned my wife died. And the mystical right. things that have happened after my wife died, I mean, she's still here, not her body. Mm-hmm. But it is right. absolutely incredible, the experiences I had after she died. Amazing. Well, I think that's. I think I think you ought, you ought to do that. I, you know, and I mean, Charlie's and your creation was a co-creation was a was a winner. Yeah. So I think that that would be a winner as well. But um. But anyway, okay. I'll keep my eye for that. 
So I really want to thank you, sir, for your time. Thanks for listening. That That's <laughs> what really is a great skill, to know how to listen. Okay, thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you, sir. Again, everyone, today my very special guest has been Dr. Bernie Siegel. We've been talking about his new book, Three Men, Six Lives. Um, again, you can find out more by visiting his website, which is BernieSiegelMD.com. And on that website, you'll see a ton of resources. Um, he, he has his whole catalog, um, radio and TV appearances. He has works with uh, Charlie on there as well. So it's a, it's a great website to explore. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at ByteRadio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Bite Radio Me. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.